Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better. And dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 12 of Horror Hill. I'm your host, Eric Peabody, and we've got two stories for you tonight. Rain, by D.C. Morrison, introduces us to Samuel, a recent law graduate that is moving to Nevada to begin his career. 
The small town is nice and welcoming, but Samuel begins to think that something else might be going on under the surface. After that, we'll move on to Pop Pop's Guide to a Happier Life, where a man named Carson starts receiving life lessons from his dear departed grandfather. I'm not sure which part of the world you're listening from, my friends, but I know that I'm beyond excited for this veritable Thanksgiving feast of delicious horrors. Now, let's get started, shall we? I'll do the carving. You're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today to get instant access from our friends at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Did I mention they were ad-free? Thank you for your support. Our first story is from author D.C. Morrison and is titled, Rain. I had conquered the world. I remember that day, decked out in my gown and cap, outside the small private school nestled in the easternmost valley of Washington. I had finally earned my law degree. My next step was moving to a small town in Nevada to work under a district court judge for a year. Most people never heard of the town, even those from the state. I was only ever used to cities, but the pay was good, and I was promised a wonderful learning opportunity while clerking under the judge. I had even found the perfect house for rent at a bottom dollar price. Three bedrooms, two bathrooms, and lawn housekeeping all for $900 a month. I even got a yard for my dog. Finally, my work was paying off. The day of the move came after a long summer drawn out by menial labor and financial troubles. It's funny to think now about how I was entertaining the idea that I would settle down in this small, dusty town, where the worst cases I would be dealing with would be coming out of the supermax prison outside of town. The air whipped around me as I drove down the final stretch of a very long drive. The paved road was the only indicator that humans had ever walked across that particular ground. I had yet to spot any gas stations or indicators of life within hundreds of miles. I felt like I was passing into some apocalyptic future where humans were scarce and civilization had collapsed into the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah. Great civilizations burned to ash and left desolate and forgotten. I arrived in town around mid-evening. The sun was still bright in the sky as it was midsummer. I loved the town from the very first sight. Beautiful mountain ridges and deserts stretched all around me. It was a dream come true for someone looking forward to a year outside of city living. Small children rode bikes and skateboards down the dusty roads. Elderly people were leaving the church. As I made my way to the small residential area of town, where my landlady waited, 
I took in the shops and stores. These buildings were ancient, but they housed trusted and loved local businesses and were frequented by seemingly happy people. I felt the strangest sensation of contentment among the people in town. As I looked closer, some shops looked like they had closed recently. Maybe half of the buildings housed open businesses, but plenty of signs read closed, a reminder that this town was barely hanging on. The big casino in town stood in direct juxtaposition to its struggling neighbors. It seemed to yell into the empty desert for miles, based on the sheer volume of neon light emitting off its ancient brick walls. There was even a small brothel, or ranch, as they're referred to in Nevada. I took in the charming mom-and-pop shops that lined the main street. After a 12-hour drive, I finally arrived at my new home. My new life, I thought at the time. As I got out of the car, the front door to the home, a charming and respectably priced brick house, sprung open to the smiling face of my new landlady, Megan. I was so happy that the drive was over, and I could tell my dog had to use the bathroom since we had stopped almost three hours ago. Hello! She beamed while making her way down the concrete steps. I returned the smile briefly and extended my hand while my dog did her business on the front lawn. Hey, I'm Samuel, I replied, and we shook hands. She seemed like a maternal old grandmother. Clean, smiling, kindly eyes. Welcome home, she beamed at me. Here are your keys, and the home has just been cleaned deeply. I thanked her for being so accommodating and generous, and she hugged me. Welcome to our little slice of the world, she said. We'll make this as painless as possible, she whispered and released me. I laughed at what seemed like an odd joke, and she was gone with one more brief smile, leaving me to explore my new home alone. I began unpacking the few belongings I had brought with me as the home was furnished. While getting situated, I decided to go out to dinner. I took in the rustic western charm of the town. I was in the middle of town, within a five-minute walk. The casino and a tiny sports bar lit up the modest town. Having never been much of a gambler myself, I decided to head for the sports bar. The bar could have done with a few new layers of the pale green paint covering it from floor to roof, but the neon sign blinking wings over and over again looked bright and welcoming to an empty stomach. The glass door creaked slightly, and the bell chimed as I walked in. I couldn't see this from the outside due to the neon glare against the windows, but the place was packed and noisy. I saw everything from what looked like miners to accountants winding up their day in this small bar. The door chimed again as it closed behind me. A small, seedy-looking kid in the corner looked up and noticed me first. He gave me a friendly wave. No, friendly didn't describe it. It was enthusiastic, almost like he was excited to see me. I was trying to figure out if I somehow knew this kid. How you doing, Samuel? 
A voice called to me from the bar. It sounded like its owner spent 20 years smoking three packs a day and eating nails. I turned around to find who had called for me. It took me a moment until I realized the voice came from a very small man behind the bar. He didn't stand taller than four foot ten. I smiled with curiosity about how he knew my name. Uh, Hey, I stammered. I'm fine, just looking to grab a bite to eat, I replied as I made my way to the bar. The ground was sticky, but the food smelled delicious. How's Clapton? The meager bartender asked as he approached to take an order. I paused for a moment. How did he know my dog's name? I ordered my wings quickly and waited for my food to show up. It seemed odd to me that he knew that much, but this was a small town, so someone who interviewed me may have let them know. I was knocked back to reality by a strong jolt on my shoulder that almost knocked me off my stool. I looked down at what must have been the largest human hand I have ever seen, enveloping my entire shoulder. Howdy, Samuel, the hand's owner said in a booming voice. I tried to stop my beer from spilling. Once I got my bearings, I looked up at the mystery person, who also seemed to know my name. A big red jolly face beamed back at me. He seemed like he'd be able to rip me in half with little to no trouble. Hello, I said. I returned the smile, waiting for him to say something. After a moment of neither of us talking, I broke the silence. I'm sorry, what's your name? I asked while extending an uncertain hand to the stranger. Oh, how rude of me. My name's Marv. He barked everything he said loudly and jovially, like a really drunk Santa. I noticed the windows rattle as he talked. I'm the town gravedigger. I cracked a smile. I thought I liked Marv, but given where I currently am, my feelings toward him have somewhat soured. Nice to meet you, I said. When Marv invited me to join the table at the far corner of the bar, my food arrived and I was about to turn and eat. It was my first night in town, and although I was exhausted from the drive and just wanted to eat and go to bed, first impressions were everything. So I agreed to join them. I decided to go ahead and eat with them quickly, excuse myself after an hour and a half, and then sneak home and finally get some sleep. It seemed like Marv and the others at the table had other plans, though. All of them seemed like normal, working people. Some were minors, some worked at the prison. All of them looked at me like they loved me intensely. They told me about intimate things. I had barely known them for five minutes. One of them told me they lost a leg in Afghanistan, another about his struggles with cocaine, and another one of them cried about his divorce while he told me about the value of family. All through it, they were pouring drinks into me. As the night continued, more people poured into the bar, 
all with the same disposition to me as the other complete strangers I was around. It was all, hey Samuel, and weirdly enough, once I got an, I hope the tooth poles went well Samuel. The entire time they were forcing drinks and food into me. I wasn't even hungry, but it didn't seem optional. The hours stretched on. I was tired, and having been fed and given drink to the point of alcohol poisoning, I got up to leave. Beautiful women, the type who'd never even given me a second glance, started doing me favors, things that still make me blush through the pitch black I'm sitting in. Ambling over to the withered bartender, I blurted out that I needed to pay my tab. The bartender looked at me with half-cocked amusement. He let out a wheezy laugh and made his way to an ancient bell behind the bar, ringing it three times. The sound silenced the entire bar. It seems that the sacrifice wants to leave, everyone, he said. A quick burst of laughter rounded the bar. I laughed too, noting that the bartender, and the town for that matter, had an odd sense of humor. This obviously was some joke. There was no way this was real, right? The bar was still dead quiet after they finished laughing, though. I turned slowly. I felt for the switchblade that I usually kept in my pocket at all times. It was gone. Everyone in that bar was staring at me with that same loving expression. That same unnerving, bloodthirsty, loving expression. The thing is, Samuel, you seem like a nice kid, but we can't let you leave. The wheezy voice had a hint of despair to it now. We love you for what you're doing, Samuel, but you are our only hope in bringing the rain back. The bar all started with hushed whispers. I could make out small snatches of what they were saying. We love you, Sam. You're so brave. And the worst one. We're all so sorry for what we have to do to you. Icy fear crept through my veins. I could feel my heart beating faster now. Marv stepped through the crowd. His face was no longer beaming, and his voice sounded more melancholy than the booming version of it I had received earlier. We're sorry about this, Samuel, he said. He had difficulty looking me in the eyes as he said those words. We just have to look out for ours. They seemed to be closing in. I turned around briefly, looking for a weapon, and found a dirty steak knife left on someone's plate at the bar. Wheeling around, I flicked it around the crowd a few times, trying to keep them back, trying my hardest to think of a way out of this bar. My head started spinning. How much did I drink? Fuck! The word came out of me automatically as I felt something stick into the back of my neck. My extremities went numb. I lost grip of my knife. I vaguely heard it clatter to the ground as I looked up to see the bartender shaking his head, 
a hypodermic needle still in his hand. I was out like a light. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. How much did you give him? I heard someone say. The world came spinning back to me. I could make out the torches being lit. Where were we? He must be awake for this, Gary. Relax, I didn't even give him a full dose. He's tiny. Might have killed him if I'd empty the whole needle into him. The bartender's wheezy voice rang with annoyance in every syllable. I guess that's who Gary was. I could hear Marv's heavy steps make their way around whatever surface I was tied to. Samuel, you awake? It was Marv. My eyes opened briefly. I immediately closed them and a scream caught in my throat. I couldn't move. Sam, Marv said again, nudging me this time. Marv sighed impatiently. Sam, I know you're awake. I saw your eyes open. I know you're scared, son, but I need you to open your eyes. I would not open them. Something hit me hard in the stomach, knocking the wind out of me and jolting my eyes open. See? He's awake, so everyone calm the fuck down. Marv said to the group I could now see standing around me. I screamed this time. I screamed loud, calling for help. Marv hit me in the stomach again. I took a few gasping breaths before trying to speak. What do you... I was having trouble speaking. Don't move, Samuel, Marv said as he checked what I had just realized were restraints. Looking down further, I realized I was on some roughly hewn altar. My heart started thundering in my chest. I could see it now. It looked like the entire town had encircled me. They were all naked and had covered themselves in dust, even in their hair. They were all carrying torches. What the fuck was happening? I tried to break free, to run, to try and get Clapton and leave town. Samuel, Marv said in a sharper tone. Resisting won't do you any good. I took another look around. There was no joy in their eyes, just somber silence. 
These people didn't seem like monsters. Why were they doing this to me? The answer was obvious. They had no other choice. I tried struggling against the restraints on the altar again, but it was no good. We've given you a very strong cattle tranquilizer, Samuel. I'm very sorry we had to stick you like that, and I'm even more sorry that you didn't stick around long enough to slip something in your drink. But we do need you awake for the burial. Marv said those last words quickly, like ripping off a band-aid. Burial? I managed to get the word out clumsily. Marv said nothing more, but he put his hand on my head, like a loving father would do to comfort a scared child. I'm sorry again, but we'll make sure to take care of Clapton if that's of any comfort to you, he said before he made his way back to the circle of my captors. The crowd parted suddenly. A woman approached. She was beautiful. She offered a sad smile as she stopped at the foot of my altar and then turned to the crowd. We are here today. I was starting to get thin vision. I could barely make out what she was saying over the ringing in my ears. Because we, once again, have to appease the desert so that the rains come again. I listened in disbelief. Were they doing this so it would rain? I struggled harder, tried begging them to let me go. I pleaded and I told them I wouldn't tell anyone if they let me go. I cried into the blackness of the desert around me. It did nothing to stop the relentless ceremony. Each member of the town took turns walking by me. Each grabbed a jug at the foot of the altar and dumped water onto me. Then they would return to the circle in turn. Through everything, I noticed some people crying. The last noise I wanted to hear queued up next to me. Some heavy equipment and, oh my god, they were digging a hole. No... No! No! I screamed louder now, and louder, and louder. I screamed until my throat was raw. A forklift near me. I pulled desperately at my ropes, but I couldn't break them. I was too weak from whatever it was they had injected me with. The forklift lifted me up altered everything and slowly made its way to my grave. Fuck! I screamed. Over and over, I screamed as I was being lowered into the hole and the dirt fell over me. Dirt covered my face. I couldn't yell anymore. I was the sacrifice. So... Here I am, stuck in pitch blackness, not knowing how long my oxygen will really last. I'm struggling to breathe now. It's 
all silent out. <laughs> hey, look at that. I think I hear rain up there. You've been listening to Rain by D.C. Morrison. Our next story is Pop Pop's Guide to a Happier Life by P.D. Williams. The scene at the funeral home was predictably somber. The harsh glare from the recessed lighting over Pop-Pop's urn struck Carson as inappropriate and disrespectful. He's my grandfather, not some archaeological artifact on display, he thought. It had only been a couple of days since his mother had found Pop-Pop's body sprawled across his garden shed's floor. He'd had an iffy heart for some time. Still... Carson felt sideswiped by the suddenness of his death. Even in adulthood, he never stopped worshipping his grandfather. Carson sat next to his stoic younger sister, Lexi, during the memorial service. His father, Lloyd Maxwell, was to her right with his typical I-couldn't-care-less attitude. Next was his sobbing mother, Monica, and her brother, Robert. Their mother, Ruth, had been gone for over 20 years. The rest of Pop-Pop's immediate family filled the remaining rows of padded folding chairs. The love of Carson's life, Sarah, was behind him in the second row. He appreciated her more than he ever had. With Pop-Pop gone, she would likely be the rock to which he'd be clinging. The pre-service program featured photographs of Pop-Pop at various stages in his life, projected onto a pull-down screen at the front of the small chapel. Seeing them made Carson aware that his aged grandfather had had a life before he came along. A soundtrack comprising soft instrumental music accompanied the slides. The series of lilting songs performed on piano and cello filled the reflective silence. Each number seemed to whisper, He was here, but now he's gone. Forever. As Carson stared at the decorative urn sitting on the ornate pedestal, the finality of it all hit him hard. He wept. After the service, Carson exchanged hugs with his family, co-workers, and friends. He and Sarah were heading to the funeral home's parking lot when Monica shouted after him. Carson, wait up! Carson turned to Sarah. Babe, can you give us a minute? Absolutely, whatever you need. She gave him a quick kiss before walking to the car. When Monica caught up to him, Carson said, Hi, Mom. It's just too painful to stay, so I'm hightailing it out. It's okay, I understand how you feel. The thought occurred to Carson that as hard as it was for him to grapple with Pop-Pop's unexpected death, it had to be much worse for his mother. He had lost his best friend and hero. She had lost a father whom she adored. 
Carson felt a twinge of shame for his selfishness. Mom, I, I'm so sorry. I know I'm not the only one hurting right now. Are you going to be okay? Her smile was tender. Yes, sweetie, it's you I'm worried about. You two were so close, as thick as thieves. I think he showed you more attention than he did me and your Uncle Robert combined. Don't tell your sister or cousins, but he used to confide to me that you were his favorite. Not that the others would care. They spent time with him out of a sense of obligation. Your visits were based on love. Carson fought back the river of tears that were overflowing their banks again. You think he knew that? Monica combed her fingers through the top of his uncooperative hair, a motherly habit that was hard to break. Oh, sweetie, I know he did. But listen, you can call me any time you feel the need to talk. I know I'm not Pop-Pop, but I guess I'll have to do for now. She leaned past Carson and waved at Sarah. I'm sure Sarah would love to be here for you, too. You know, I've always liked her. She might be the one. Carson grinned. Far be it from me to disagree with one of my mom's assessments. A wise decision. She kissed him on his cheek, turned, and walked away before calling over her shoulder. He'd want you to be happy, Carson. I know. Then he thought, I'm just not ready to begin yet. Soon, Carson returned to work at Reynolds, Reynolds & Hayden, the law firm where he served as a paralegal. The insane amount of busyness was therapeutic. Going home meant dwelling on how much he missed Pop-Pop. His boss, Brian, kicked him out of the office when nine o'clock rolled around. Come on, Carson, go home and take care of yourself. Yeah, I think I'm done for the day. Carson packed his things and left. He had to admit he was tired and hungry enough to go home to the apartment he shared with Alex, his on-again, off-again friend since college. When Carson got home, he found Alex occupying the living room couch, playing one of his violent video games. Without taking a break from the action, Alex said, Sup? It was, for him, a rhetorical question. I'm just working my butt off, man, Carson replied. Yeah, good. Quiet. Sorry. Carson plundered through the near-empty fridge, hoping to find something that was still safe to eat. Pickings were slim to none. Come on, dude, he said. It's your turn to get groceries. Looks like I'm having cores for dinner. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, see, you're welcome. Same to you, dummy, Carson mumbled. Oh, hey, I almost forgot, said Alex. An envelope came for you. It's on the counter. Carson set his cold dinner bottle down and picked up the large manila envelope. Who delivered this? His name was on the front in large black letters. There still needed to be an address or other identifying information, 
leaving him perplexed. Don't know. It's just lying in front of the door like a FedEx package. Carson turned the curious item over, expecting it more closely. Okay, thanks. Welcome, Alex said, as he continued staring zombie-like at the carnage on the screen. Carson took the beer and the envelope and went to his bedroom. He tossed his work bag on the bed and sat at his desk. He tore open the envelope and peeked at its contents. Inside was a single DVD, which he removed. He smiled as he read the disc's front. Pop Pop's Guide to a Happier Life, Volume 1. He recognized the distinctive scrawl. What do you know? It's from Pop Pop. He pulled his laptop from his work bag, set it on his desk, and fired it up. The computer stuck out its plastic tongue, and Carson fed it the disc. He nudged the tray and waited for the DVD to begin. Carson recognized the setting immediately. The lush and colorful flower garden was nestled in a beautiful, park-like area of Pop-Pop's backyard. Beyond that, small fruit trees flourished. At its center was an open sitting area with two weathered Adirondack chairs. It was the spot where they used to sit and while away the time after they'd finished one of Pop-Pop's famous chicken dinners. Carson's favorite dish, of course. Young Carson had sat spellbound as Pop-Pop told him story after story about mythical characters and magical lands. When he was older, the talks turned to fatherly discussions about issues important to him. Self-doubt his emotionally disconnected father, girls, and life in general. Now, Pop-Pop was showing up when he most needed him. A warm wave of contentment enveloped Carson. Conflicting emotions filled him when Pop-Pop appeared. Deep longing, joyful surprise. Wearing his infamous, loud Hawaiian shirt... He greeted Carson with the phrase he always used on postcards and telephone calls. Well, hey there, buddy. I hope the sun's shining where you are. If you're watching this, you know that the second hand on this bad ticker of mine has stopped. I know you're sad, and that's okay. But just because we're not face-to-face doesn't mean that I'm not around. It also doesn't mean I have nothing interesting or helpful to share with you. In fact, I've prepared a series of, oh, I guess you'd call them life lessons. As you read on the front of the DVD, I'm going to try to guide you toward a happier life. I'll talk about the useful stuff like we used to do. Like we used to do, Carson whispered. Consider this DVD an introduction of sorts. We'll begin the life lessons with volume two, so be on the lookout for it. Till then, I love you more than sunshine. Carson tried to absorb what he had just watched. He wondered how many discs Pop-Pop had prepared. Then it occurred to him that he wasn't sad for the first time in a while. Two days later... Carson arrived at his apartment and discovered another manila envelope lying in front of his door. This one had only Carson's name written on the front. 
he picked it up and went inside. After he finished the sandwich he'd made, Carson took the envelope and retreated to his bedroom. He readied his laptop, then retrieved the DVD from the envelope. As expected, the label read, Pop Pop's Guide to a Happier Life, Volume 2. Carson inserted the disc. Hey there, buddy. I hope the sun's shining where you are, said Pop Pop. He was still wearing his Hawaiian shirt and flashing his signature crooked smile. However, the rich greenery of the garden had faded. Dead leaves reigned around him. The trees that were laden with succulent fruits now hung withered. How far apart did he shoot these? Carson wondered. Carson, there are three things that help shape a man. The love of an honest woman, the loyalty of a good friend, and the willingness to do what's right. Today, I'm going to talk about the first one, the love of an honest woman. Having someone you can share your love and life with is crucial, but you've also got to be able to trust her. I think that's why I never cared for that whore, Sarah. Pop-pop, Carson said in surprise. The harsh and crude description of Sarah had stunned him. A word like whore ran counter to the gentleness of his sainted grandfather. It was a word that he had never uttered. I know this may be hard for you to believe, especially from your old pop-pop, but she's not who you think she is. I need you to witness her debauchery and deceit. Prepare yourself, buddy. The DVD cut away to a scene in an upscale bar. Sarah was having drinks with an attractive 30-something man dressed in an expensive-looking shirt and designer jeans. She was wearing a slinky red dress with a low-cut neckline that knew no shame. Despite the surrounding noise, Carson could hear what they were saying to one another. "'One more drink?' the man asked. Sarah, who seemed inebriated, said, "'Are you trying to take advantage of me?' I don't know, am I? She leaned forward, whispering in his ear. I sure hope so. The man put his hand on Sarah's inner thigh. She laughed, put her drink down, and began kissing him. Then the scene cut to a motel breezeway. Sarah and the man were kissing and groping one another. They stopped so the man could open the door. Sarah wrapped her arms around his broad shoulders and pulled him into the room before slamming the door shut. Carson felt rubbery, his breathing strained. Oh, God. This can't be real. What is this? The DVD switched back to Pop-Pop sitting in his decaying garden. His face displayed an angry expression that Carson had never seen before. It was unsettling. Who is this person? Where'd he get this? Carson wondered aloud. The who and where don't matter as much as what, the image said. Carson was stunned when Pop-Pop responded to his questions. I'm sorry you had to see this, the image continued. But you need to understand that she's never really loved you. You're a joke to her a toy for her amusement. 
Are you gonna let her get away with humiliating you, or are you gonna be the kind of man who doesn't suffer whores gladly? Is this some kissed-up joke? How did you hear me? Alex, so help me if this is... Carson felt anger filling him, making his face hot. Okay, so we both know the DVD is a fake. So how'd you create my grandfather's likeness? He just died, you sorry piece of crap. Now it was Pop-Pop's turn to look surprised. Carson, Tanner, Maxwell, you better mind your manners, boy. How the... Carson said. He's dead. The man's dead, he reminded himself. He'd never known a time when he'd been terrified of his grandfather, but he knew. If you're Pop-Pop, why are you here? He asked. Because you need me to be, remember? Because neither of us wants to let go of the other. And because I still have things to teach you. Carson, life is hard, and the truth sometimes hurts. So here's today's lesson. To have a happier life, you have to be able to trust a woman. If you can't, that whore is better off dead. Do you understand what I'm saying? Carson had no words. Pop-Pop smiled again. Well, that takes care of today's lesson. I'll be back with the next one soon. Till then, I love you more than sunshine. Hey, wait a... Carson stared at the blank screen in disbelief. No, 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 this isn't right. He rewound the DVD to various points. There were still scenes with Sarah, but static snow filled the frames where Pop-Pop had appeared. Carson ejected the disc from his laptop and tossed it into the waste paper basket. This is insane, he thought. But what if... He was unnerved and confused, but he was also curious. Carson looked at the DVD resting in the trash can. After studying it for a moment, he retrieved it, returned it to its envelope, and placed it in the desk drawer with the first one. Then, he set about finding out how the DVD had come into existence. Later that evening, Carson called his mother. He'd practiced what he was going to say to her, but still, the words lacked coherency. He felt unprepared when she answered on the second ring. Hey, Mom, it's me. Do you have a minute? I have all the time you need, sweetie. What's up? Did Pop-Pop ever mention anything to you about making some DVDs to send me after his death? Someone's been delivering some to my apartment. They're in a manila envelope with just my name written on the front. Do you know anything about them? Are you serious? No, sweetie. I have yet to learn the first thing about them. What's on them? Carson chose his words carefully. On the front of the DVDs, it says Pop-Pop's Guide to a Happier Life. The first one was pleasant. Pop-Pop was sitting in our spot in his flower garden. It hurt a bit at first, seeing him there and all. It was as though a part of him was still with me. But then it got strange. Strange? How? 
It's hard to put into words. It's like his entire personality changed. I've never seen this side of him before. He became hateful. He called Sarah a whore and then... Wait a minute. Did he call her a whore? Those were his exact words? A whore? Yeah, Mom. A whore. And this is the weirdest and most painful part. As proof, he showed me footage of Sarah and some guy hanging out in a bar. They're all over each other, and then... Carson's throat seized up, and his eyes became wet with raw emotion. And then they end up at a motel, he finished. You can guess the rest. But Carson, how can that be? First, despite how someone obtained that crude footage, I am disappointed in Sarah. But I promise you that whoever the man is on that DVD, he's not your pop-pop, not my dad. He adored you. It's not him you see, sweetie. But mom, it's definitely pop-pop's garden. I can't understand it either, but I'm telling you, it looks like him. He decided not to share the other part about his and Pop-Pop's real-time conversation. His story was weird enough. This is a cruel and elaborate prank, or someone stalking you and Sarah, said Monica. Why don't you call the police? And tell them what, Mom? I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I just need some time to sort this out. Be careful, Carson. Think about a private investigator. I'll pay the fee. And one last thing, sweetie. Yeah, Mom? Talk with Sarah? Carson couldn't bring himself to watch the DVD again. The thought of viewing the images of Sarah and her paramour made his stomach hurt. When dinner time arrived, Carson wasn't hungry. He tried working up the nerve to call Sarah and ask for an explanation, but after thinking it through, he decided against it. He thought that this was something they needed to work out face to face. He grabbed the incriminating footage and headed to Sarah's condominium. Carson rang her doorbell several times, but she didn't answer. He peeked through a window, but the place was dark. He pulled his cell phone out of his pocket and called her, getting her voicemail. After a few more tries, he left a message. Sarah, uh, we need to talk. We need to talk now. I know, Sarah. I know everything. Who is he, anyway? Look, call me when you get this. He was about to hang up when Pop-Pop's lesson entered his mind. I'm starting to think I'd be better off if you were dead. Carson drove around for hours until his vision became bleary from exhaustion. He went home and crawled into his bed with his clothes on. He dreamed of Sarah. The following morning, Carson struggled to get out of bed. The questions in his head tormented him. How, Sarah? How could you do this to me? To us? He realized he couldn't afford to be late for work, so he showered, then got dressed. Carson wandered around the kitchen slowly, looking for something to eat. 
He wanted something light on his stomach, so he prepared toast and coffee. Alex entered the living area and sat on the sofa. Flipping on the TV, he turned to the local morning news. AC, how about a coffee for your lazy friend? Dude, you're helpless, hapless, and hopeless. Carson turned to the coffee maker, but stopped when he heard the news anchor commenting on a homicide that had happened overnight at Heron Condominiums, the complex where Sarah lived. Say someone stabbed the young woman several times in her chest and abdomen. A police source has identified the victim as 24-year-old Sarah McClendon. Authorities are asking anyone who may have seen or heard anything to call their anonymous tip line. Also, the victim's parents are offering a reward to anyone with valid information that leads to the arrest and conviction of their daughter's killer. A rush of nausea overtook Carson, and he vomited in the sink. Then, he passed out. Alex was standing over him, calling his name when he came to. Carson felt the sore spot on the side of his head and found a small lump. He remembered the last thing he heard before he lost consciousness and felt dizzy again. He grabbed hold of the countertop and pulled himself up to a standing position. Oh my god. Sarah. Carson, are you okay? I'm so sorry about Sarah, Alex said. He walked Carson to the sofa and sat down, putting his arm around Carson's shoulder. Is there anyone I can call for you? Your mom? Dad? Lexi? No! Carson barked more harshly than he meant to. Sorry. I know you're just trying to help. Good God, Alex. I was just at her place last night. Did she say anything about going out, maybe meeting someone? The question hit a nerve. Though it was difficult... Carson filled Alex in on everything that had happened. However, he changed his story to reflect that a mutual friend had shown him proof Sarah had been cheating on him. He explained that he'd gone to her place to confront her, but she hadn't been home. I was so angry with her, Carson said. I couldn't think straight. The worst part is the message I left on her phone. I told her I'd be better off if she were dead. Alex, what was I thinking? Dude, there's no way you could have known. It would be best if you took some time to process all of this. I'm right here for you. I'm not going anywhere. Carson became more agitated. I need to go to her. There's got to be some mix-up. Before Alex could stop him, he jogged to the entryway, snagged his car keys from the wall hook, and opened the front door. When he stepped outside, his foot collided with a manila envelope. His first thought was to toss it on the kitchen counter and leave, but the inexplicable pull of the package changed his mind. He picked it up and took it inside, his stomach nodding as he thought of its contents. Carson, what is it? Alex asked. Is that another one of those weird deliveries? What are they, anyway? Carson stared at the envelope. Go to work, Alex. I don't want to be bothered right now. Alex looked hurt by the words. 
dude, just let me... I said just go to work. Fine, man, suit yourself. Alex grabbed his shoulder bag from beside the sofa and left. Carson was uneasy about viewing the newest DVD. God only knew what horrors it contained. Instead, he spent the morning calling his friends and family and sharing the awful news. Like him, they too were in a state of shock and disbelief. Brian, his boss, told him to take as much time as he needed, but Carson had worked for him long enough to know that his kindness would only extend to a few days. After he ended the difficult phone call to Sarah's parents, he leaned back on the sofa and looked at the envelope. What are you? he asked. Carson took the envelope to his bedroom and removed the DVD. He read the label, Pop Pop's Guide to a Happier Life, Volume 3. His hand trembling with dread, he loaded it into the laptop and waited. Pop Pop was sitting in his garden, just as he had been on the previous DVDs. His face was ashen and expressionless. The monochrome scenery surrounding him bore little resemblance to the lush and colorful place that Carson had known since childhood. This garden was devoid of vibrancy. The small fruit trees, rose bushes, and decorative shrubs were barren, their stark skeletons exposed under a deep gray sky. Then, despite the eerie setting, Pop Pop grinned, his happy-go-lucky demeanor returning. Hey there, buddy. I hope the sun's shining where you are. Would you look at this? We're already up to lesson three. Boy, howdy. That last one was a doozy. Listen, I know you're sad. Angry, confused. I appreciate how much Sarah meant to you, but it's better that she's done whoring around. Shut up! Carson screamed. Why'd you kill Sarah? Pop-Pop looked hurt by the accusation. I didn't, buddy. I never laid a hand on her. Then who did? Tell me or I'll start using these DVDs as frisbees. If you do, son, you'll never find out who killed Sarah. I have to say, I'm perplexed over how quickly you've forgotten what you saw with your own eyes. I don't care about the creepy surveillance footage. This crap is over. No more peep shows. Settle down now, buddy. You know old Pop-Pop cares about you. That's why I've put together another life lesson. This one will cover the second ingredient to a happier life. Loyalty. You see, just like a man needs an honest woman, he also needs a friend he can trust. Someone who will always have his back no matter what. That brings me to Alex. Carson's world of reality shifted on its axis. He responded to the thing that he worried might not be his grandfather. Barely controlling the fear in his voice, he said, What about Alex? Don't you lay a finger on him, you hear me? Just leave him out of this. Pop-Pop leaned closer to the camera. His sparkling eyes turned hard, intimidating. He began speaking in a flat voice that gave Carson chills. All right, buddy. 
We're gonna have to do this the hard way again. Wanna take a peek at your best friend? The scene featured Alex sitting in a booth at a restaurant. He looked anxious, his eyes bouncing around the room. He pressed his cell phone to his ear. Yeah, I'm calling about the murder of that girl last night. I know her boyfriend. This morning, he told me he caught her cheating on him and that it pissed him off. He said he threatened her. It pains me to say this, but he might be your culprit. Carson felt the same sick knot in his stomach that he'd had when he viewed the footage of Sarah. Though he upped the volume on his laptop, he couldn't hear what the other party was saying, only Alex's responses. There's a reward, right? asked Alex. Seriously? That much? I don't want to give you my name just yet. A brief pause. Understood. His name is Carson Maxwell. He lives at... Pop-Pop reappeared, an expression of intense sorrow on his face. I'm sorry he hurt you, buddy. The betrayal, the selfishness, the outright cowardice of that filthy Judas. Someone like that doesn't deserve to live. Your life would be happier without him. You see that now, don't you, buddy? You deserve to be happy. I deserve to be happy, Carson said in a trance-like voice. Pop-Pop quickly perked up. Good then, that wraps up another lesson. I'll have another for you soon. Till then, I love you more than sunshine. Numbness overtook Carson's body. This isn't real. No way this is real, he thought. The facts surrounding the past 48 hours turned in his fracturing mind. Sarah's infidelity had brought about her death. He was concerned about what Alex's betrayal might bring. What did you do, Alex? He thought. Alex had sold him out for the equivalent of 30 pieces of silver. Carson feared the police might already be on their way to arrest him for suspicion of murder. He decided to get in his car and drive somewhere safe. Carson took the back roads and side streets until he arrived at Pop-Pop's house. He maneuvered his car up the narrow driveway that ran along the side of the property and parked inside the detached garage. Then he went into the house. Carson entered the kitchen, got himself a glass of water, then entered the living room. He needed information, so he turned on the TV and went to the 24-hour local news channel. He waited for the weather report at the top of the hour to end to find out what the authorities had learned. Soon, the news anchor appeared and provided an update on the investigation. Today, police discovered a man's bludgeoned body in an alley off of Crescent Drive near First Street, said the news anchor. They have identified the victim as 25-year-old Alex Newsom of Forest Hills Apartments. Shivering, Carson muttered, Pop-Pop, what did you do? He continued listening to the report. Based on an anonymous tip earlier in the day, the authorities are searching for a person of interest. The individual is thought to have a link to Mr. Newsom and the stabbing victim discovered last night. In other news, 
Swirling thoughts filled Carson's mind. Oh my god. They'll take one look at his driver's license and figure out he's my roommate. They'll know he's the one who turned me in. What if they find the message on Sarah's cell phone? The DVDs? What'll I tell them? This is bad. This is really, really bad. Carson went to the dining room to think. When he got there, he discovered a manila envelope waiting for him on the table. He hesitated before picking it up, wondering if he had the courage to open it. Do I have a choice at this point? He asked himself. Before he could change his mind, he quickly ripped open the envelope. Inside was a DVD marked Pop Pop's Guide to a Happier Life, Volume 4. He took it to the study at the back of the house and inserted it into the desktop computer. Total blackness had replaced the once beautiful and tranquil oasis of calm. Pop Pop smiled, but it wasn't one of his warm, uplifting ones. Instead, he ghoulishly exposed his teeth, giving his expression a macabre and unnatural appearance, as though something sinister was trying to impersonate him. He began speaking in his usual top-of-the-morning manner. Hey there, buddy. I hope the sun's shining where you are. As you can see, it's not shining so bright around here. I hope you're not too upset about Alex, but was I right or was I right? Carson was incredulous. Do you not know what's happening? You put all of this in motion with your stupid life lessons. Because of you, the police are going to think I had something to do with Sarah's and Alex's murders. If you care about me as much as you say, then make this right. Please, give me something I can tell the cops. Something they'll believe, such as who did it. Pop-Pop stroked his chin and nodded as if he agreed with Carson. Fair enough, buddy, fair enough. I told you if you hung in there, I'd reveal the monster who killed Sarah and Alex. So... Let's move on to the last lesson I told you about. Doing the right thing. The scene cut to Sarah, alone in her bedroom at her condominium. As she was taking off her red dress, someone appeared in the doorway of the dark bathroom. Slowly, he stepped forward into the light. Carson lifted the large knife in the air and crept up behind Sarah. She turned and screamed. Abruptly, a different scene appeared on the monitor. Alex put his cell phone away and left the restaurant. Gripping a short pipe, Carson followed Alex. As he was walking past an alley, he stopped as if someone had called his name. He looked apprehensive. As he drifted down the path, he walked past a large dumpster. Carson rose from behind it, his face reminiscent of a dead-eyed psychopath. Carson felt disconnected from his body. How did I... Wait, no, it... It wasn't me, it was you. I don't know how, but it was you, Pop-Pop. Tell me it was you. Pop-Pop returned to the screen. Buddy, the police have figured out where you are. 
I'll be here shortly. I know it's wrong to let an unfaithful woman and a treacherous man rob you of your happiness, but you've done a terrible thing, Carson. You need to own it. You need to do the right thing. Desperation and confusion overwhelmed Carson. The faint line between reality and delusion became imperceptible as rationality abandoned him. Succumbing to his madness, he convinced himself that everything that had happened was real. He realized that Pop-Pop was only looking out for him the way he always had. The weight of that love humbled Carson to the point of tears. What should I do now, Pop-Pop? A gentle look of patience spread across Pop-Pop's weathered face. Go to our place in the garden. There's one more envelope waiting for you. Go on, son. They're coming down the street right now. Carson ambled out to the garden haven. A rich canopy of fruit trees kept the harsh sunlight at bay. The flowers were awash with technicolor splendor. Sitting on one of the Adirondacks was a manila envelope. The howl of sirens screamed nearby, heading in his direction. Carson picked up the envelope. It was heavy. The sirens were on top of him. The noises of tires skidding to a stop and car doors slamming reverberated through the pleasant afternoon air. He opened the envelope, looked inside, and smiled. Many footsteps stomping on gravel rushed toward the backyard. Loud voices, punctuated by the sound of wood exploding, echoed from the front porch. He pulled Pop-Pop's 38 snub-nose revolver from the envelope and gripped it. Someone yelled, Gun! Gun! The feeling of a dozen wasp stings hammered his body dropping him into a cold pit of infinite blackness. When Lexi returned home after Carson's funeral, she was frazzled and distraught. The news crews were making her family's life a train wreck. They'd even been at the funeral. Her heart broke into more pieces as Carson's face filled her head. She couldn't comprehend how he had fallen so far so fast. She missed her brother and yearned for him, despite everything he'd done. When she reached the front door, a large manila envelope on her doormat greeted her. She picked it up and saw that someone had written her name on it in large black letters. Curious, she stepped inside to open it. She entered her home office, sat at her desk, and opened the envelope. Inside was a single DVD with the title, Pop-Pop's Guide to a Happier Life, Volume 1, scribbled on its face. She loaded the disc and sat back. The screen flickered and the image of Pop-Pop appeared. He was sitting alone in his backyard paradise, wearing the old, tacky Hawaiian shirt she remembered with fondness. He smiled at the screen as if he could somehow see her sitting in front of him. Hey, Lexi, darling. I bet you're wondering why in the world this DVD is showing up at your house unannounced. Well, fear not. I've got someone special with me here who's got some important things he wants to share with you. 
Pop-Pop looked to his left and waved someone over. Tears cascaded over Lexi's smile. She glowed as she watched her older brother sit in the Adirondack chair next to Pop-Pop's. Carson looked into the camera, grinned, then said, Hey, little sis, I hope the sun's shining where you are. You've been listening to Pop Pop's Guide to a Happier Life by P.D. Williams. Well, my friends, that's all we have for you tonight. For those of you that celebrate Thanksgiving, I hope that you've had a lovely day with good company and good food, and maybe just a few good scares to cap things off. But don't get too comfortable, because I'll see you back here next week for more terrifying tales. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page, or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts, and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to me. If you'd like to hear a premium, ad-free edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. Thanks so much for your time and for giving our sponsors a try today. When you support our sponsors, you help support this show, and that means a lot to me. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. As for me personally, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube username Viking Guitar, and also on Instagram as Viking Guitar Productions. Until next week, listener, when we meet up once again atop the horror hill for yet another dance with darkness, I bid you good night. Sleep tight, listener, and if you hear scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may have found you, but it's up to you to let it in. You've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's episode was hosted by, and its featured tales performed by, Yours truly, Eric Peabody. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Nikki McSorley and Eric Peabody. Finalization by Craig Groshek and S.K. Brown. Got a terrifying tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your work considered for future production. 
If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, please subscribe to us to make sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on social media to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and our other programs. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit the thumbs up button to let us know how we're doing and leave us a kind comment. Lastly, don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archives and ad-free downloads of all of your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, you can hear more of my work on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights podcast. However, I will be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. If darkness is what you're after, listener, your search is over. Yet, let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.